to an episode of the Tifo Mahapi Show hosted by myself. The show explores the impact, whether famously or infamously, some of my guests have had on the world. I believe that opening businesses and, and the healthy capitalism without the corporations which destroy the environment, etc. I think be naive to say that we've completely overcome any polarizing or divisive issues on the racial front. We thank you for taking some time out to listen to the podcast. Don't you ever get the feeling that something has changed drastically across the world over the past half decade? Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! It's not just black people around the world pushing back against centuries of systemic racism, but over the past decade it appears there's possibly also a trend that, for lack of a better word, I call nationalism. More and more politicians and people pushing for more inward-focused policies, if I can put it that way. And I think that the electorate have searched in their hearts and answered as honestly as they can and as Gisela says in a poll on a scale the like of which we have never seen before in this country. They have decided that it is time to vote to take back control. From a European Union that has become too remote, too opaque and not accountable enough to the people it is meant to serve. It's also not just in the USA and the UK, even in South Africa, we have witnessed many protests against big companies that have had racist advertisements and in some cases we have observed that social media is being used by many people to try and push for an agenda against foreign nationals, wrongfully so most of the time. The question that begs to ask though is are there any underlying trends that are driving these changes and sentiments? The politics of rage and polarization and that's what you're kind of seeing there. And for me it is the growing pains of shedding the old and the resistance and the kicks of a dying horse to embracing something that is very new, which obviously makes people very, very nervous. So what you're seeing, as you say, from your point of view is exactly right. We just look at it much more depth and bigger picture scale. But society is changing, politics is changing, geopolitics is starting to change, you know, the state of the economy, inequalities around the world are starting to be highlighted and things are shifting very, very, very quickly. That's Dion Chang, founder at South Africa's Flux Trends, a company that analyzes macro trends that influence social dynamics and our business interactions. I had a chat with Dion to try and understand some of the trends that look like they're shaping our zeitgeist. What was also fun is that Dion, as a former fashion magazine editor, put me at ease as far as my almost non-existent fashion sense goes. So that fashion world, um, for me, is literally a, you know, a quaint relic of the 20th century. Before we jump into the discussion I had with Dion, let me take a few seconds to tell you about Truehost.Africa, the sponsor of this episode of the Tifumahapi Show. Truehost offers domain names, web hosting, free website builders, and email solutions. As a listener of my podcast, you get a discount when purchasing anything at Truehost. Visit truehost.africa forward slash iAfrican. Remember, that's iAfrican with a K. Select the products you want and apply the discount code iAfrican. Don't forget, that's I-A-F-R-I-K-A-N. One of the things that I generally struggle with... <laughs> as you probably saw before we started this like my video on, is fashion. I'm a generally a person, and my colleagues will tell you that, I'm generally a person who dresses for comfort. Occasionally, I try to, to dress up, and they're surprised. And it's probably the first thing I want to talk to you about, uh, given that your previous work, etc. 
how does one determine whether they're fashionable or not, or how they're dressed is fashionable or not, and what informs fashion trends? Okay, I'm glad you asked that question for two reasons. So firstly, I've been out of the fashion industry for now 13 years since I started Flux Trends. And generally, and people who enjoy fashion are not going to like what I'm going to say, is because I think fashion trends are an obsolete concept. Just think if you look at fast fashion cycles and everything, it's totally irrelevant to a 21st century world. That's also one of the reasons I also bailed out of the, the fashion industry. So kind of just saw the, the cogs go around and around and around and it's just like you're caught in a cul-de-sac. But even while I was in the fashion industry, it was really just about helping the, the business of fashion. So I joined Lucilla Boyson just after she had started South African Fashion Week. So I worked with her as a program director and the media spokesperson for SF Fashion Week for about five years. And before that, my fashion involvement was not in the industry per se, but basically with fashion media. You know, so, so it was with magazines and things like that. And to answer your question, I think what led me to what I was I'm doing now is basically even during the magazine period, I was the startup team for that brought L magazine into the country before GQ and any of the other magazines started publishing. I was the editor of a supplement called L Man that we did an offshoot with L. And then when I joined Lucilla, it was also just when SA Fashion Week was starting. And I realized that I enjoyed being at the startup of things, which led me to start my own company and a trend-based company, but not looking at fashion trends or anything, but uh, in, time, in terms of business trends. So, but just going back to your question is the reason why I think it's I irrelevant is especially now we see we're sitting in 2020. And I think what this, this pandemic has really taught us and has been showing us is that supply chains, fast fashion, it's really not good for the planet. It's not, it's just, it's wasteful. It's, you know, and there's, there's a new generation coming. So our studies at uh, Flux Trends on Gen Z, your teenagers, they're starting to be 22, 23 at the moment, you know, are very, very different consumers. So that fashion world, um, for me, is literally a, you know, a quaint relic of the 20th century. So sorry, fashion people that are listening, but <laughs> that's my feelings about it. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, you say it's an old relic of the 20th century. As an observer, I mean, I guess you need to be an observer to observe trends or to be a flaneur to observe trends. Would you say generally a lot of things are becoming like relics, like in business and all sorts of things that we use daily? Yes, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think what you've seen as well with lockdown is, you know, I've been also saying the other thing that I always call a quaint relic of the 20th century is this 40-hour work week that starts at nine o'clock, ends at five o'clock, you know, you know, it's for companies that that's still want to manage people like helicopters and you know bums on seats i want to see you working and all of that kind of stuff and i've been saying to people you know for years now if i do a keynote and it's a rhetorical question i say hands up anybody who has answered a, an email on their phones outside of office hours so of course everybody picks hands puts their hand up and i'm saying you know technically you're all remote workers and what we've basically you know seen with this uh, this pandemic it's forced companies to say we can do this you can work remotely it's just takes a different way of management, but it's taken people a hell of a long time to get to the program. And one good thing that has come out of this kind of pandemic has been the acceleration of new ideas and new trends that have long reached their sell-by date and that become obsolete. And now we, we are, are kind of forced to embrace them and to, and to test them. And lo and behold, they actually work. So yes, and fashion is one of those things. I'll just go back to that and just finish that yeah. thought. Is the reason why I'm also so adamant that it's quaint relic of the 20th century is that you're starting to see 
even the big fashion cycles, the you know fashion weeks in New York, in Paris, and in Milan, and all of those kind of things, everyone's just going, this is crazy. Because if you're a fashion editor, you are basically kept on the road for you know practically six months of the year to travel to those things. It's very nice. I did that myself when I was a fashion editor. It's very nice for the first year or two that you do it, and then by year three and year four, you just want to get off the carousel because it's just uh, you know it's not good. So we're learning now that the travel times, the like I said, the sweatshop factory. The, the waste of that industry, the polluting of the factories with dyes and stuff into the rivers and all of that stuff. This pandemic's been a, a major wake-up call in so many ways, and it's a, a good wake-up call. Obviously, the, the death and destruction of, of businesses is not a good thing, but the, the wake-up call has been a good thing. Yeah, and I think it applies to so many things, not just business and fashion. I mean, we're seeing it in politics as well. There seems to be a shift of sorts. But just going back to and continuing with the chat about businesses and what we're seeing the, the pandemic is doing, do you think we will see or we will start seeing a mass of people and organizations starting to finally accept? I ask this because currently there are still many businesses and people who believe that we are going back to normal, like things will go back to normal way. We go to office parks and uh, we congregate in large numbers everywhere, etc. Do you think from a business perspective that we'll start seeing this change? Because I, I, we really take ourselves, for instance, we work remotely generally, but we started working even more remotely during the pandemic. And it works perfectly, saves on costs, it's more sustainable, etc. But would this work for bigger businesses, your big banks, your, your big industrial companies? It has started shifting already. So I wrote an article, which is on the Flux Trends uh, website, about the fact that I do feel for asset management companies, and especially property development companies. And, and those are the guys we work with in terms of retail. So we can get into that later. But I mean, it's a quite an interesting way that Flux sees the world. So we were dealing with retailers. And then a year and a half later, we were suddenly dealing with the asset management companies that build malls that have to think are we building the right thing that's going to take, you know, two to five years to build? And then in 10 years time, we've actually got a white elephant and it's like a bad thing. So we've been consulting with those kind of companies on that kind of future. But even before the pandemic hit, you started seeing with these co-working spaces, you know, they looked to probably corporates to be quite hipster, idealistic things. If you're in Silicon Valley, you can kind of do this sort of stuff. But I started noticing already just at the end of 2019 that some of, um, specifically the big banks, they were discounting connecting certain departments. So an innovation team, they would put up in a co-working space or what they're calling now flexible working space because people don't want to go to co-working spaces, um, but it's the same space. Um, But now... Uh, what almost, uh, you know, we're getting into like five months of lockdown. Um, I've been chatting to one space in particular, uh, Workshop 17, and they said they've seen a huge surge. Um, So firstly, of smaller businesses. So this is sort of 10 to 50 people or so, um, all just cancelling their leases in terms of rental properties, because like you said, we've worked for four months like this at work. So why pay that rent? And then secondly, really interestingly is, your bigger corporates are starting to understand they don't need that big ego, this is my corporate headquarters space. And what they're doing is they're starting to break up or fragment that mindset. So some companies would um, either break off and do a complete department uh, shift there, 
or they will get memberships for some people. So if you are in a different part of the country or even a different part of the city, because many of these places have got, uh, say, in, in Joburg, you've got three branches of the same working space, co-working space, you will allow your workforce to work a lot more efficiently and say, don't come into the office there. If you're on that side of the town, go into uh, WeWork, Workshop 17, whatever you want to do, work for there for a while, or there's a bit of hot desking. So people are starting to understand that, I don't know, for want of a better word, the user experience of your workforce can be done more productively than sitting in the in traffic for two hours every day. And yeah, for yeah. what? So yes, it, it's changing. But do you think, I mean, just to finish this thought, don't you think that, and since you work with asset managers and you've worked with the property developers, don't you think that we will see some resistance given human nature not to accept the inevitable? Oh, there's been huge resistance. So firstly, I think the, the people that are really struggling are those sort of um, middle managers who kind of want to see bums on seats nine to five. And they just, the whole thing of remote working and trying to manage a remote team is so, so foreign to them. But you know what? This is what we've been saying for the past four months in, in lockdown to a lot of companies and especially retailers as well, is that I don't want to depress everybody, but you know, this lockdown or this, uh, what I call the great staggering is going to carry on for at least another six months to a year. I keep reminding people and businesses that that year or year and a half that we We've been doing things differently is enough time to really cement that mindset into people's um, headspaces. So whether you're a customer or a consumer, whether you are an employee for a company, this kind of way of living, if you've lived this way for a whole year, it's going to be, that is the new normal. You want to talk about the new normal. This is the new normal that you are starting to see and get very, very comfortable with. And, and that is going to be the big change that's going to hit all of these big companies. You mentioned that a lot of things are becoming old relics of the 20th century. And there's also been another trend in politics as well, if I, in, in social sort of culture, where more and more countries, I hope I'm being, my observation is correct, are becoming sort of like more radical and more nationalistic if I can put it that way, it started obviously in America and other countries are following suit. We saw it with Brexit. In South Africa, occasionally xenophobia uh, raises its head. I mean, are all these trends, and I'm trying to understand how the world is shifting, because clearly it's shifting from where I'm sitting as a layperson. There's clearly a shift, not only in business, not only because of the pandemic, but there seems to be some sort of wind of change, if I can use a cliche, that's happening where things are sort of taking a huge shift. Do you think this policy political change is also informed or tied in some way to what we're seeing around the world or what the trends you're observing or what are you observing? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's why you see the world in such a state of conflict. So even at the beginning of the year, we had to remind the different companies that we work with. We take them back to 2019 because obviously everybody's focused on the pandemic and COVID and what's going to happen and the fallout from this. But I always remind people when we do a trend briefing for them is just go back to the end of 2019. We left 2019 a very angry planet. So you had Greta Thunberg and all of her teenage followers going on school strikes and you know getting 16 million people around the world to protest about that kind of thing. You had in finance and business the introduction of sustainability loans, which was a very new thing. And you know that that Arpine will give you that money or that bailout, but you have to start behaving in a climate positive way of doing things. You see 
seeing, you know, the rise of populism all around the world, but you're also seeing that great division. So we come out with a trend briefing at the beginning of the year called the state we're in, and we start putting that together in November. So we put something together in November, and we actually called the 2020 version before COVID struck, and we had to rename it and reshift it. But we actually named that thing for 2020, the politics of rage and polarization. And that's what you're kind of seeing there. And for me, it is the growing pains of shedding the old and the resistance and the kicks of a dying horse to embracing something that it's very new, which obviously makes people very, very nervous. So what you're seeing, as you say, from your point of view is exactly right. We just look at it in much more depth and bigger picture scale, but society is changing, politics is changing, geopolitics is starting to change, you know, the state of the economy, inequalities around the world are starting to be highlighted and things are shifting very, very, very quickly, which is why you sort of see that corporate resistance because was the threat, let's call it what it is, to white supremacy, basically, yeah. is you see businesses, you know, around the world, around the globe, are, are, and politics is managed by older white men, you know, and that's got to change, and it rattles them. And I find it very interesting that it's that same demographic that are so vehemently against someone like Greta Thunberg. And you just think, she's a 17-year-old <laughs> girl yeah. with Asperger's, you know, from a Scandinavian country. Why is she such a threat to you? You know, that reaction illustrates why people are just so freaked out because a big change is happening and you can feel it coming. I think you summed it up. I think it has to do with people being uncomfortable with the change that's coming, but more because it's a change that seems not to put them at the center of things, I think, or from from observation. So that shift makes them feel very uncomfortable that they're going to lose control. I guess it's human nature. Something interesting happened last week. So Beyonce launched or premiered her Black is King. And there was obviously great uh, reviews about it. But you also saw a trend. I mean, many Africans that she's culture appropriating. And I don't want to focus so much on Beyonce because it was a brilliant film. And it's just not only on Beyonce. We've seen it as a trend that's been developing. Is it also part of the trend where Africans are also now saying, We need to reclaim our narratives and we need to dismantle all these old sort of structures where people define us and we need to define ourselves. Yes, absolutely. But then it gets very, very messy because 2018, 2019, we kind of also delved into, it was just starting to rear its head, but the whole question of identity politics, that's like picking a hornet's nest just to uncap the bottle and let the genie out the bottle. But um, it is that. And that's what also makes the establishment, let's say the establishment, um, a lot, a very, very comfort because there's so many nuances in that. So, you know, a African-American woman like Beyonce is being used of culturally appropriating um, something. So, you know, so, so where does sort of blackness start and end and where is cultural appropriation within people who are black? happen and not happen. So it's just, it gets very, very, very complicated, as does sort of gender politics, you know, sure. whether you are, you know, are, are transsexual and, and what's your honorific, I'm MX, I'm this, I'm that, that, you know, it just gets, it gets really, really complicated. And kind of that's why you, you also saw why, to everyone's surprise, Donald Trump become the president, um, because... I think the Democratic Party in, in America, you know, was, was focused on minorities and all of those kind of things. And then this huge sway of middle America was just felt left out. So hence, yes, the politics of rage and polarization and people feel the more we splinter and the more we acknowledge minorities, the more you're just going to get into a, a hot mess, if I can say that. And yeah. um, that's where it's going to go. But that said, the last kicks of a dying horse. We have to change. Um, I think we 
reached that point of no return where we're not going to go back to normal because normal wasn't that great anyway. You look at where 2019, that's why I keep reminding people, look where we left 2019. It was not a pretty picture. Um, So it's got to change. Obviously, with change, something has to replace it. Otherwise, we run the risk of going back to the systems or structures that were there before. What do you think happens next in terms of politics, business? You've touched on the business side a little bit, but in terms of politics and all that, what happens next? What, What looks likely to happen next? Yeah, I think what looks likely, and we've kind of experienced it, is, and I'm sorry to say, I think things have got to get worse before it gets better. To break down a system, you're going to have to have it like burn from within or somebody going to kick it out completely from the outside and burn it down. So seeing that with America, you're seeing younger politicians come up, you know, whether they are LGBTQI politicians, lots coming into that race. We've got a younger vanguard coming up in South Africa. And you kind of see that, especially in South Africa. You've sort of seen the the ruling party, the ANC, the liberating party, and then it just stopped going a little bit downhill. And now there's just this huge attacks on corruption and stuff like that. So those things have to be broken down. And I always remind people that, you know, even though we say we we, things need to start afresh, they, they need to start anew, you can't dismantle that established status quo overnight. It's going to take a while and it's going to be painful. You can't like rip it off in a class unless you have a, a revolution, which is not going to be uh, not always productive anyway. Um, yeah. But you, you're starting to see you know, all of those things. So, so we, we've seen a gradual process of, of change and it is change and it might seem incremental and it might seem very, very painful. But if you sort of step back and look at the last maybe year or so, you will start seeing that, that a lot of new things are, have come through. And then you know, I don't want to sound like a beauty queen, but I'll put my beauty queen crown on and say, <laughs> yes, the, the youth the youth are our future because we've done so much tracking of Gen Zs, you know, your first digital natives of humanity. And you can't tell me, even if you don't like generational theory, that people who or a generation that's grown up only knowing digital and only knowing the internet and only knowing all of those kind of things. You can't tell me that the way in which they absorb information, education, it's kind of rewired their brains. And you see a very, very different way of thinking, a different way of wanting to work, a different purpose for the planet, all of those things coming out there. So I put my money on, on Gen Z. And, and I think what we need to for, don't forget, especially on the African continent, that the continent is not a millennial continent. The average age throughout Africa or sub-Saharan Africa is 17. So we are a very, very young continent in Africa. And so your continent is a Gen Z continent. So if you think about technology, how technology moved and what was available in 2010 compared to 2020, then from 2020, if your Gen Zs are just coming, starting to come of age now, by 2030, and then if you go to, you know, closer to mid-century, all of this, these teenagers, these digital natives are going to be the entrepreneurs. They are going to go into leadership because they care. They've got a high social justice barometer. Um, the population explosion on Africa is going to be enormous. The innovation, solution-based innovation is going to be enormous. And so we have to look at that kind of future. And my colleague, you know, Bronwyn Williams, um, you know, also says if any company really wants a long forward-thinking strategy, if you don't build your business, 
business for Africa with the sort of aging populations around the rest of the world. If you really want to build a long, long-term vision of your company or your business, you build it in Africa and within Africa and for Africans as well. I really love that you mentioned the digital natives, the Gen Zs, who are growing up literally on the internet. And I like saying that the internet on its own sort of has has a culture. And I think you summarized it quite well in that they're used to a certain way of doing things. And one of those ways is a decentralized way of doing things, a decentralized way of consuming news or media through social media. Do you think that culture, that internet culture, that web culture that Gen Zs are growing up on will go on to influence everything around society, business, politics, how we structure all of them? Yes. So let me give you an example. So just I say this to freak out because whenever I give a like a trend talk, you're talking to parents as well as people who are who are in, in the business, you know. So um, I always say, you know, so hands up who's got, you know, teenagers, uh, they're Gen Zs. And I say, you know, um, if you are a parent or if you are a teacher, sorry for you, but you are no longer the font of wisdom. Google is. And it's true. Because of that rewiring of your brain with internet and smartphones and stuff like that, I'm not going to sit, if I'm a teenager, I'm not going to sit, if I've got an inquiring mind and I want to know what the distance to Mars is because we're going to go and send people off to Mars there, I'm not going to wait for a teacher to ask me that question. I'm going to Google it. So the whole dynamic of curiosity is completely, completely changed. I will keep doing and probing questions because I can get the answers quickly. So that leaves teachers and parents feeling very, very vulnerable because they're going, what the hell am I doing now? I can't teach, you know, the normal way, all of those kind of things. So yes, if you think about how that's doing and how you're even your young millennial politician. So I'm a huge admirer of um, her acronym is AOC in America. Oh, yes, yes. Um, You know, I'm just a huge fan of, and she rattles cages in Washington because she's young, she's bright, she's smart. She's a Latina and she's female and it scares, excuse me, the shit out of them. And that's really what you started to see. So to answer your question, yes, you're seeing it in politics. You're seeing it the way in which we're doing it as consumers. We had a, a, when we released our last Gen Z report earlier this year, we had some young Gen Zs in the audience and we brought them up. uh, You know, a lot of the brands were, they're rubbing their hands gleefully saying, yeah, we've got this new batch of teenagers and they're going to be fashion obsessed and we're going to just sell them fast fashion and we're going to sell them this this and that and the other and they got a rude awakening because they were asking them questions and one young lady just said to them we're actually not interested in your product if we're going to buy your product we're going to ask questions how sustainable is it what was the supply chain is it local what's the carbon footprint of this is it going to you know have meaning i'm going to share it i'm a social media generation i'm going to share it with my peers if i share a product i'm going to make doubly careful that i'm going to share a product that resonates with my value systems and my peers value systems and it's not just about bottom line profits and everything like that it's a very very different ball game so so yes everything's going to start changing and that's what i've been warning these companies for five years now is that this is this new generation the fully new generation your millennials were sort of the in-betweeners but this generation is the start of a completely different ball game, and it's not business as usual. It's not all of those kind of things in terms of communication, in terms of marketing, in terms of all of those kind of things. So best you you start rethinking your business and, and the relevance of your business. That's very important because something I've also noticed with businesses is that 
before the pandemic last year, 2018, 2019, and going backwards, they would have their CSI budgets, etc. But in times of trouble and CSI for the listeners, the, it's community social... Corporate social investment, yes. Yes, corporate social investment. That's a correct word. So they would have these budgets and they would use them. But in times of trouble, like now in the pandemic, you're coming to see a lot of them that they were just doing this for show. That's the first things they cut back on to try and keep their businesses afloat. What's your advice around like business is having this because you talk about Gen Z's looking for businesses not from what only their products but how they do everything sustainability etc what's your advice to businesses in terms of becoming a more a more responsible citizen of the world yeah that's a uh, it's a big learning curve and it's a big problem you know for them because basically that's what your corporate thing is it's been keep the shareholders happy keep look keep watching the, the bottom line and that's not what matters anymore if you are a business that is just bottom line focused and obviously everybody every company wants to make a profit and that's it but that's not just what you need to run a business you need to to show your purpose and your meaning and do that and you can't say oh it's mandela Day, so we're going to paint a school because that really doesn't help anybody it, it makes you feel a little bit better that you spent your budget nicely but it really doesn't help um communities so there's two ways that i want to put onto the table so firstly the if you look at the traditional corporate social investment is that if you're looking at this young and that's the reason why we, we look at gen z because they're not only your consumers but they're also coming into your workplace so for a business to say a brand it's a double assault it's a new customer but it's also your new entry-level workforce that are people that are going to come and work for you and those are very very different mindsets so the younger person comes into um, the workforce it's not i don't want a job i want a lifestyle is the mantra you know and so your older baby is going to scoff at that saying, well, you know, that's all a bit cushy. But if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because I want to work at a place. I don't want just a job. I want to work that does something. There must be some purpose. There must be some meaning. And more importantly, I want to learn. So a job today is not just a paying job. Well, in South Africa, it is because we've got such shocking unemployment levels. But generically, for a younger person, a job is a learning process. I will leave a place the minute I stop learning. So if you just treat me like a cog in the wheel, I'm not going to stay around because I don't want to be a cog in the wheel all the time. But if I can contribute, if my voice is heard, if it's a bit egalitarian, then I'm motivated to stay. So, so it's a very, very different ballgame in terms of that. And I want that company, if they have a CSI project, then I don't want it to be, you know, there's so much things, greenwashing, pinkwashing, blackwashing, you know, Black Lives Matter, all of those kind of things. Don't just slap it on as when you think it's appropriate, but you've got to walk the talk. And then secondly, the biggest question I always get is, so what's going to happen to all of our jobs when the algorithms or the robots take over? And yes. there I spoke at a CSI conference um, a couple of years and it was a bit of a stunned silence after so I said I have a new model for CSI so this is in a room with a thousand people that are all CSI people departments and companies that do exactly what you do they you know spend their budgets they feel good about themselves and then that's it I said the new CSI in going forward is actually not only externally looking, because in South Africa, we've got the most unequal society on the planet. You have to use your profits to make the world a better place and make communities a better place. But secondly, you also need to start investing within the company. So your, your internal CSI is keep training people up um, and upskilling them all the time. Because if and when, and it will happen, that's why I say when, when that person's job is replaced by an algorithm or by automation and a robot, then you it is your responsibility as a corporate company to give 
that person a fighting chance to get another job somewhere else. So we call it the great displacement. So you need to keep your workforce skilled all the time so that if and when they lose their jobs, they can move off with the right qualifications to get displaced into maybe another industry or something like that. So that kind of freaked people out a little bit, but uh, a lot of people did like it, but it kind of throws CSI on its head. I like that you talk about uh, movements and like Black Lives Matter. We actually saw that pushback recently with the Black Lives Matter where a lot of corporates would come onto social media and post a black image with a message and say, oh, we stand with Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera. And many people who worked within those corporates, going back to your point of internal CSR, who worked at those corporates, many black people who worked at those companies would come out and say, before you even post on social media or talk about donating or anything, how about you increase your budget for X internally, or how about you pay X people internally, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it goes back to your point that internal CSI needs to be more important or important as well. And also looking internally just to, instead of just doing statements on social media or in the media about standing with movement. No, exactly. And I, you know, I think a lot of things are done you know, with good intent, but the road to hell is paved with good intent. Um, yes. You know, some people say, oh, you know, okay, we're going to give this um, underprivileged school, we're all going to give them, you know, tablets and they can learn digitally. So A, there's always the whole thing is like, well, what happens if they don't have connectivity anyway? So then the tablets are just like useless. But secondly, if you dig a bit deeper, then, you know, it just shows how people don't understand social dynamics of South Africa because that young school learner will say, you've just put like a target on my back. If I'm yes. going back home, I'm going walking through whatever neighborhood, I'm taking a taxi, whatever, I'm sitting here with like a 10 grand whatever device in my backpack. And now I'm a target, you know, we, I don't think people think through those kind of sort of social nuances that we have in South Africa. And I just wish they would. It's two ways. One, yes, it's a question of people don't think them through. But again, I think it's a question of not having teams that are inclusive from people yes. who, who understand those communities. I'll give you an example. I think this whole week, there's been something trending on Twitter with Nikon South Africa, the camera company. So they put out this video uh, beginning of the week <laughs> with, with the, yeah. I'd imagine you've seen it because they put out this video with their new influencers so I can't yeah. imagine Creators uh, oh or whatever, and and it's a South African for starters. It's a, it's a South African campaign, and they've got like five white people or something to that effect, and one popular black photographer. And what made it worse for me was the black photographer sitting there looking uninterested, and, yeah. and it was just a whole mess because they said these are the influencers for South Africa, and it backfired badly. But then I dug a little bit deeper to look into who is in the marketing team at Nikon, and then yeah. you start to realize why they would come out with a campaign like that because yes. yes i understand in some cases there might be racism involved but in other cases and i'm not making excuses for them they did terribly in other cases it's a matter of sitting in this bubble of your own people and your own community and you don't see the bigger context of the country no it's uh, it's, it's exactly that which is you know which is why we we delved into identity politics and diversity and inclusion and stuff like that about two or three years ago it was just sort of starting to rear its head and you know, to kind of keep myself upskilled, up, well, when we could travel, I, I travel around the world to to attend, you know, conferences and stuff. And I went to one huge one, it's like uh, you know, two thousand people, um, you know, in New York with uh, in terms of diversity and inclusivity. And what I was stunned with was, look, American can get over PC, but 
what really stunned me was the the length and breadth of companies across America that were, that were represented there, who all had very very um, separate diversity and inclusion departments. So you know they were head of inclusion or head of this or whatever. And I just thought, gosh, you know, in, in South Africa where we really need this, um, we way 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 behind in that, that kind of thinking. That it was we think it's an HR problem here, but it's but that's when I saw so many they were standalone loan departments that that had to kind of make sure that the inclusivity and diversity was you know and bias and stuff like that you know um how's this and in, in, it was also in new york the the police yeah. department was looking for a chief algorithmic officer wow but what's that, that? <laughs> well, exactly so you think okay that's a new job um but i said but wait there's more it goes even deeper so it's not just a, a chap that looks at how your company's going to use algorithms but um yeah strangely enough uh, because it was a police department and with you know, black lives matter and george floyd now uh, now we've seen was actually the job of the chief algorithmic officer was actually to make sure that the algorithm that they were using did not have racial bias in that algorithm wow, i mean that's really advanced you know it's like okay that's a different level of kind of inclusion and diversity and you know in south africa we sort of understandably with our history we are sort of stuck on on race and gender and that's as far as the inclusivity and diversity goes but i take your point totally and that's what we also advocate to different companies there is like how um i do a lot of work companies in terms of scaling innovation and it's a big passion of mine of how to scale innovation because big companies can't, can't innovate and they keep falling down and you know, and one of the things I ask, and I'm very privileged, and I use that word properly because I get the opportunity to spend time with excos or, or just senior executives in a closed room and do like a, a innovation masterclass, if you will, for a whole day or a half day or anything like that. And I really relish those opportunities because those are the decision makers that you need to reach and you need to speak to. And as you say, I go into many boardrooms and I look at this exco and I just see the demographic there and I'm going guys you know this is like 2020 this room looks wrong <laughs> there's no yeah. other way to say it it is wrong this is not the right way to do it and then I tell them it's like your let me see the demographics of your board of directors and whatever and if you look at the board of directors as well of, of any companies it's literally an old boys club you know it's from my yeah. business school it's people I know and uh, again, it's the, your peers and stuff like that. So you, you get a very homogenous group and they don't think differently. And that's part of the problem with innovation is you, my job is to try and make people think very, very differently. And hopefully I can rattle as many cages as possible because that's what I really enjoy doing, but making thing, people think differently and saying, you know, why do you think that the picture in this room is stunting your progress to innovation? So I enjoy asking difficult questions and I enjoy rattling a cage or two and if it makes people upset then so be it but um, if it makes them think a bit differently then you know my job is, has been successful and I think I mean there's something that's also popular nowadays to solve this problem we're talking about they talk of the uh, inclusion courses or diversity courses I just think in my personal opinion that won't cut it no um, yeah it's got to be it's got to be a lived experience it's got to be you've got to break out of that bubble and got to make yeah. sure that you just go a bit more than now, now as a final question I mean, we've talked about this shift in society and business across marketing, retail, property. Now, going forward, how do we individually and collectively, what do you think we need to start doing to build a better continent, a better Africa? 
I think firstly, you need to get out of your bubbles. You know, we, we operate in too many, but I mean, look, that's, it's a natural thing. And I think also, especially with lockdown, it's, but you really got to kind of get to know people, reach out and understand people a lot, a lot more. You know, you'll see the similarities, but you'll also understand the differences um, a lot more. You don't have to agree with people, but as long as you understand people's, other people's point of views is how you do it. Um, the other one I'm going to say is, it will sound trite, but it's true. It's just stay off social media because social media is one of the biggest, like, Produces of little pills, you know. Everyone's got a little echo chamber, and you go into your little echo chamber, and you you can rant and everything like that. And I am horrified, you know, at some of the bubbles, you know, with even on my own Facebook pages or whatever. You just think, yeah. guys, this is, you know, just during the pandemic, there's just been a whole lot of xenophobia and xenophobia against yes, you know, yes. the virus, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I called out so many people, and you could see they were so embarrassed because there was one guy that was like you know another flippant comment of, of whatever just sort of generalize ah you know Chinese but whatever whatever it wasn't even yeah, related yeah. Wasn't even related to the virus and all I said in the comment section was I didn't expect this from you and then he remembered oh crap um you know Dion might be South African but he's also, he's also Asian he's also Chinese yeah of Asian descent yeah so he was like oh god I didn't mean that I'm like yes you did because you know I said the the unmonitored conversations that you have in your own echo chambers speak volumes about you people and yeah so i'm also not scared to call people out but it's just you know people we, we understand that in south africa you, you do it subconsciously retreat into your echo chamber and then you say things around the bri or whatever that you would not say in public so to your question get out of your bubble call people out who are in that bubble who are not saying things because i think we you know that saying is uh, you know bad things happen when good people do nothing and i think you need to kind of stand up and yeah. say that's not right and we need more of that uh, to happen Dion, thanks very much for your time it's been a very insightful chat and wishing you all the best remember to tell your friends family and colleagues that the show is available to listen for free on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify deezer or any other app that you use to listen to podcasts also make sure to head over to www.iafrican.com forward slash radio. That is www.iafrikan.com forward slash radio. And subscribe to get notified on new episodes and any other iAfrican radio shows. Stay safe on the web.